The Big Sip. Hey, 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 y'all. This is Gabriela, the host of The Big Sip. Really excited, super emocionada, because today I have the pleasure of actually speaking with Dr. Laura Catena, who's a fourth-generation winemaker. She's also the managing director over at Catena Zapata Winery, founder of the Catena Institute of Wine, which has a partnership here in California with uh, our very own UC Davis University. Um, just an incredible mujer who's leading in and being a trailblazer for Argentinian wines. Dr. Laura Catena, muchas gracias. Thank you so much for being here with me this morning. Buenos días, Gabriela. <laughs> eh, lo que no sé si estamos hablando en español, en English, o en Spanglish. <laughs> uh, let's do all three. Okay, Spanglish, bueno. Spanish, and English. A ver qué, a ver qué pasa. <laughs> okay, bueno, perfecto. Bueno, sí, soy, soy productora de vino en Argentina y vivo entre los Estados Unidos y la Argentina hace más de 30 años. Y wow. mi familia produce vinos en Argentina desde el año 1902 y en Italia anteriormente eh, desde el siglo XIX, así que de los 1800. Así que este año en realidad cumplimos 120 años wow. de producción de vinos en Argentina y 200 entre Italia y Argentina. Oh my gosh, that's so wild. Yeah, And for those yeah. of you who don't speak Spanish, they've been making wine for a very long time. We're yeah. going back into yeah. the 1800s. Um, cultura super rich ahí, sabiendo de que tú tienes décadas, más bien centuries aquí con yeah. vino en tu sangre, uh, haciendo el trabajo, doing the work. That's amazing. I, to me, I'm like... I'm born and raised in Napa Valley, um, and my dad immigrated here. So did my mom. Um, so that's how I got involved in wine. But to have wine be a part of, you know, your bloodline of, you know, the work that your parents have yeah. done and their parents yeah. before them for generations, yeah. uh, that must yeah. be, that must make yeah. it seem like there's no other career that you can do yeah. except for wine. Well, no, actually, I, I was a doctor first for 25 <laughs> years. But actually, let me tell you, what's interesting is that You know, wine has always been this passion and this dream for people. And the same as maybe your parents immigrated to the United States. Where did they come from, Gabriela? My mom was a refugee actually from El Salvador um, durante la guerra okay. in, in the 70s. And then my dad immigrated here from Mexico. Oh, great. Okay, so they came from Central America to the United States. And then ended up in wine. Were they working in, in the wine space or? Yeah, my dad um, came here, was a migrant farm worker, how he started off um, yeah. over technically in the Pope Valley, Anguin area, oh, yeah, uh, but yeah. right here around around El Valle. Yeah. My mom actually was helping a woman who's really well known in Napa Valley. She passed away a, a long time ago, but her name was Tara de Winter and was really focused on supporting a lot of undocumented individuals with getting okay. their, their documentation right. and making sure that- That's um, great they were able to That's create great. some kind of residency and permanency in the United States. Yeah. I mean, there, there's been so many great people helping immigrants in California. And, you know, I have been some sort of an immigrant to California, although I live in both Argentina <laughs> and California. But actually, my great-grandfather, Nicola Catena, he was a third-generation winemaker in Italy. Wow. So he was born in Italy at the end of the 1800s. And then he was the youngest son of the family. There was famine in Europe back then. Uh, you know, you've heard of the potato famine and, mm -hmm. and all these reasons why many people came to the U.S. Well, he decided to go to Argentina. Some Italians actually of our family also went to the U.S., but in his case, he came to Argentina because he specifically wanted to make wine in Mendoza. I love and that. Mendoza is our winemaking region by the Andes Mountains in high altitude. In my opinion, the perfect place to make wine. <laughs> I don't want to offend the people from Napa. Not at all, not at all. Wine, but we have high altitude. So we are between 
3,000 and 5,000 feet elevation. Wow. We have these well-drained soils, and we have this variety called Malbec that used to be the most famous grape in France, then was kind of forgotten in France and now famous in Argentina. Mm -hmm. But the same story of my great-grandfather coming to Argentina is the story of your uh, father and mother coming to the U.S. You know, you come as an immigrant, things are very difficult. You know, initially him and his wife, Ana Maria Mocheta, who was also Italian, they were doing all the work in the vineyards uh, because he had this, this little piece of land that he bought after working for many years. And then their son, um, who was my grandfather, didn't finish school because mm -hmm. he had to go help his Work. parents. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And then my father uh, managed to you know, build a somewhat bigger business. And actually, his inspiration for uh, starting to export very high quality Argentine wine that now you know, has like 100 point ratings, just like all it's the It's amazing. Yeah. But that all happened because he came to California in the early 80s, and partly it had to do with the military government in Argentina. So I think a lot of you know, our ancestors that have left their country, it's either because of economic hardship or there's no food or there's some sort of horrible political thing going on. And 100%. so my father left for some time, then he went back. Uh, that's how I ended up coming here when I was quite young, I was 14. But he was inspired by the Napa revolution by Mr. Mm. Mondavi who basically was saying, hey, the French don't own fancy wine. We can make great wines in California mm -hmm. that can be compared to the best of France. And there was this famous judgment of Paris that right. there's that movie Bottle Shock that shows how the, they did a tasting, a blind tasting where the California wi wines beat the French wines. And this 100%. was in, in 1978, is it 1976, was, the blind tasting 76. of 1976. Right, right, right. So, so my father heard about this and he said, hey, if the Californians can do it, I'm going to go do this in Argentina. Hell yes. And, and, and but back then it was all about cheap Chilean wine. This was the 90s. And my father said, I'm not doing that. I am going for the top. And, you know, fortunately for us, there is a terroir, you know, which is this, you know, soil climate combination mm -hmm. um, that can yield these, you know, concentrated age worthy wines because. Hundred point wines, multiple hundred point, point wines. wines. We, ha we have more hundred point wines than any other winery in South I America. Know, so cool. um, but the thing is, it's not one of those things that you wake up one morning and you say, "I'm going to plant a vineyard here," and there's your hundred point wine. You have to be working vineyards, planting vineyards for decades and decades and decades, and plant many vineyards in many different places until you find that one little place that can give you something extra special. Right. And I think that they found that also in California. It's not mm -hmm. like every place of the Napa Valley gives you 100-point wines. There's right. just these, these small little parcels. And I think that's something really special about wine, that it takes a lot of dedication, patience, definitely a lot of hard work. I know at the Catena Wine Institute, you want to do so much of that behind research. Like it's not just, yeah, we're yeah, just gonna, you yeah, know, create yeah. these wines. When you were talking about, there's a lot of intention. I know yeah. that you're like very data-driven, looking at yeah, what's happening yeah, in the soil, yeah. what's happening in the environment. And, and you have a partnership with UC Davis so that education yeah, aspect yeah. is really able to be amplified even more. Uh, yeah. What was the approach or the concept or reasoning for why you really wanted to have more of that data-driven approach? Because I, I know yeah. you were the founder behind the, the yeah, Wine Institute, yeah. in which is pretty great. Well, you know, my father had this vision, you know, let's make Argentine wines that can compete with the best of the world, which includes, you know, the Napa Valley, other parts of California, France, Italy, Spain. And, you know, the, the one sort of experiment we could look at was the Cistercian monks in the Middle Ages in Burgundy, mm. you know, where they make 
the most famous Pinot Noir, where they would basically plant in many different places, make the wine, and then say, oh, this place is better than this other place. And it took them about 400 years to discover what they call the Grand Cru sites, which are, you know, the top sites. And so I said to my dad, listen, we don't have 400 years. <laughs> so I don't have 400 years for trial and error. So let's do some studying. And also what we found was that there were all these what we called flying winemakers. There were these winemakers that were making wine in the US, in France, in Italy, all over the world, in Australia. And they would come and tell you, do this, do that. And what we realized is that the place where we were farming had this very special climate because of the mountains, mm -hmm. the high altitude. And we also have very little water. And so we, I thought that we should do our own research. And we had this variety, Malbec, that was almost completely forgotten in, mm -hmm. in Europe. Uh, and so we needed to do our own research in order to figure out how can we make these great wines, these mm -hmm. hundred point wines mm -hmm. in Argentina. And so we founded the Institute that publishes in journals all over the world. And these, we have these collaborations we have with UC Davis, also with the University of Burgundy. Uh, we know professors, you know, all over the world, we go to conferences. And yeah, I think that, um, you know, if you want to do something well repeatedly you'd have to do some research i mean i think that's what Definitely. we're all figuring out and with climate change mm. you can't just do everything the way your grandfather your grandmother did it exactly. you have to uh find how do you live and and how do you farm in this new world that we're facing that is very different from what the world was even 20 years ago thousand percent wildfires different climates yeah. where you know you're receiving frost maybe during moments or periods yeah. of time where that yeah. didn't exist um and you already have you know another sort of outlier which is you're dealing with high altitude farming which exactly. is you know yeah. not uh, a norm necessarily all the time when it comes to major wine growing yeah. regions um but i love at our Argentinian wines. I think it's so great that there, I feel there's this shift in the industry and the wine industry, particularly more so in the last like 10 years where people have started to diversify their palates and become curious enough to try global wines from around the world. Yeah. Um, whereas before it was either, you know, only the, the old world, French, Italian, and then Napa Valley because it became, you know, yeah. what it became because of the Paris blind tasting. Yeah. Um, but there's so many other amazing wines from Chile, Argentina, um, yeah. different parts of the world that deserve to be explored. And I know that you're a really big champion for making sure that Argentina is, is put on the map. And I don't think that there's any greater way to do that than by being a part of such a such a legacy um, and, and foundation that's been existing as you guys are the oldest winery in Argentina, if, if I'm not mistaken, correct? Well, we're, we're the oldest winery still in the original family's hands. So there, there's some wineries that have been sold a couple of times and mm -hmm. that are a bit older, but we're the, the oldest family winery still in the founding family's hands. Wow. Yeah. 120 years in Argentina. A long time. It's a very <laughs> long time. And like I was saying, you've really been like the, the face for Argentina wine. There's so many people who just love to look at all of the work that you've done, whether it's with establishing that wine institute, your partnerships with UC Davis, how you've really helped to push um, Argentinian wines. You have many, many books. Your third book that you just recently published and released, um, Malbec Mon Amor, My Love. Yeah. Um, yeah, but Malbec, then, My Love. <laughs> and I started reading a little bit of it and I was just like, this is a really great creative book and a great way to just dive into what um, that grape varietal is, whether you're exploring Malbec as a grape varietal, your, your first book, um, Vino Argentino, the insider guide into, you know, wine country in Argentina. I know Napa Valley wine country very well. 
being yeah. somebody who's such a great spokesperson and, and that face, La Cara for Argentinian wines, what can you tell me about Argentina, yeah. your high altitude farming, yeah. what you're specifically invested in um, when it comes to really amplifying the quality of, of grapes that come from there? Yeah. So, you know, one really fascinating thing about Argentina is that we have these very diverse selections of vines. So they're like the equivalent of heirloom tomatoes that mm. all look different. Mm -hmm. We have much more diversity because there was this plague called phylloxera that basically killed all the vineyards of Europe. It also attacked the vineyards in the U.S. because the vitis vinifera, which is actually it was born in the Middle East, this vine, but the, the one that makes Cabernet Sauvignon, Merlot, Malbec, Chardonnay, all the varieties we know, this variety um, basically can be attacked and decimated by something called phylloxera, which is this aphid that was born in the Americas. And because it didn't co-evolve with the, the Middle Eastern European vine, it attacks it. Whereas it doesn't attack an American vine mm. because they, they grew up together. The phylloxera and the American vine grew up together. So in Argentina, however, we don't get attacked. Our vines don't get attacked by phylloxera. Nobody really knows very well why. We've done a lot of research on that. So our plants are 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 planted ungrafted. They, they don't have these American rootstocks. So hmm. they're actually kind of more European than the European vines because they don't have American <laughs> rootstocks, which is kind of crazy. And also because Argentina was so isolated because we had we had a thousand percent inflation at one point. I mean, imagine that people here in the U.S. are complaining about eight percent. Imagine you have to change percent. your prices at your store three times a day. Like that's crazy. Yeah. And so we had that. We had military governments. We had so many crises. So what happened was that we had these diverse selections of vines kind of being reproduced by cuttings. So it's called a masal uh, reproduction. So you basically go to a vineyard you like, and you look at the vines and you say, wow, I really like this vine. It's, it's nicely distributed. Mm -hmm. It gives a nice amount of grapes. I like the taste of the grapes. I'm going to take the cuttings from this vine. And, you know, there's another vine and you mark them. And then after you do your pruning, you take the cuttings and you put them in little pots. You have a little vine start growing and then you plant those vines in your new vineyard. That's mm. called planting by massage selection. That is the way vines have been planted for 6,000 years. Mm. Now, with the grafting being necessary for the survival of these, you know, European, Middle Eastern varieties, like the ones we know, Cabernet, Chardonnay, da, 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 they had to graft. And that has to usually be done in a nursery. So there was a temptation to develop what are called clones. So what a clone is, is like you basically mostly reproduce one individual that you really like. So it would be like deciding, uh, Gabriela, that out of you, me, and the whole audience that's listening to this podcast, we only want Gabriela's out there. <laughs> we decide that, you know, we're not going to have Laura survive. We're not going to have our audience survive. We're just going to keep Gabriela's. We just want Gabriela's. So, you know, you would be planted like thousands of times as the one Gabriela and, you know, no more Laura's, no more Juan's, no more Jose's, no more Luis's, no more Maria's, you know, no more Daniela's. And that's kind of what happened to vines, that the genetic diversity got reduced. And it's mm -hmm. the same thing happened to tomatoes, to oranges, to so many of our fruits and vegetables. Mm -hmm. And, you know, there's a lot of movement out there. Like th this is happening with the potatoes, trying to go to their original I was just thinking because, that. Yeah, they also have genes that might be what better adapted for climate change and for all the diseases that attack mm -hmm. vines and mm -hmm. vegetables and fruits. And so in Argentina, we have this incredible genetic diversity that we're preserving. We have we have a, vi a vineyard that we call it El Vigneo Supersonico because, <laughs> because the supersonic vineyard, because we have all these super diverse selections and we're preserving them here. And it's, it's in the middle of nowhere and it's huge. And we just have hundreds of different cuttings 
that basically don't exist anywhere else in the world. Wow. It's like a museum of vines. And I think this is one of the greatest things about Argentina, that we have this diversity that we're preserving. And it partly it's due to us being a little bit backwards, you know, and, mm. and out there, you know, but that's kind of cool. And then the altitude, very cool. what happens at the altitude is that it's a little cooler at high altitude. So that's good for the vines. Vines don't like too much heat. You know, that's one of the problems that they're saying that, you know, some parts of France where some of the fanciest wines are made, like Burgundy and Bordeaux, might become too hot for varieties like Pinot Noir and Burgundy or Chardonnay. Yep. Because There's Pinot a Noir and Chardonnay, they don't like the weather if it's too hot. Cabernet can deal with some heat. Too hot, also not good for Cabernet. So anyhow, going up in altitude gets you cooler climate, and also it gets you a lot of sunlight, mm -hmm. which actually there's this reaction in the skins that they get thicker to protect the seed. This is like a reaction from the vine, and we actually did all this research showing this, and that's why high-altitude wines can sometimes be so concentrated and age-worthy. So anyhow, that's Those are my favorite. Those are definitely my favorite. Yeah. High concentration, something yeah. where you're going to get just like unctuous, yeah. like yeah. tannins yeah. that are just, oh, I can already taste it. Yeah. I'm not even drinking any wine. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but one, actually, you were asking one characteristic about our wine. So Malbec, which is this variety that's famous for Argentina, but it's actually 2,000 years old. It's from France. It used to be more widely planted in the Medoc, which is the famous place mm -hmm. where the, the most fancy wines in Bordeaux come from. It was more planted than Cabernet Sauvignon. Today, those wines have more Cabernet. Back in the 19th century, 18th century, there was more, uh, more Malbec. Malbec. And Malbec was famous because it had a lot of fruit, a lot of texture, but it had smooth tannins. So I read all these French texts where they would say, don't ever bottle Cabernet alone. Always blend it with some Malbec mm. because the Cabernet tannins are a little too bitter and you need that, you know, velvety Malbec. Silkiness to, make to it, balance it. it. Yeah. So 100%. you get the richness, the hedonistic nature uh, with the smooth tannins. So mm -hmm. I think that's, that's one of the things about well-made Argentine wine is that it'll be really powerful, really rich but it would not be too bitter. Yep. It's not anything that's going to be over agrio or, or anything. Exactly. No, no. I yeah. love that. You love it so much. You created a whole book out of it, as I was mentioning. Right. Malbec right. Mon Amor, My Love, which translates to my yeah. love. And that book, I mean, many of your books have been featured. Oprah Magazine, New York Times, yeah. Wall Street Journal, San Francisco Chronicle. Like You are yeah. an incredible woman for what you've created and the legacy that you're building. Um, what inspired, I mean, even going back to the first book, I I'm assuming it was to really open up this world to Argentina, yeah. which you've, again, been, been the pioneer for. But what was it like to yeah. then build upon this first book and then dive into yeah. creating a, a, an entire book around Malbec and what did you hope that that book would provide to the yeah. industry? Well, the first book I, I published in 2010 with Chronicle Books, which is an amazing publisher based out of San Francisco, and there was no book in English about Argentine wine. And mm -hmm. I wanted people to know about all these really rich traditions, everything we're talking about. I felt like people thought that Argentine wine was some kind of a new thing, yet we've been making wine since the 16th century, you know, since the 1500s. So I wanted to people... Uh, for people to know this rich history. The book also has some recipes. It has um, maps. And actually, you can still buy it uh, sometimes used on Amazon. You can find some used copies. And it still is pretty current. Christmas and the recipes, <laughs> Yeah, the recipes are current. And honestly, I didn't want to write the book. I wanted somebody else to write it. But then I hired somebody and what they wrote, I didn't like. So I decided to write it myself. <laughs> and it's not easy to write a book. I, I can't even to, imagine. I had to practice a lot. I had a really good editor that helped me, but I also couldn't have a ghostwriter because I knew all the information. And so I, ha I had to do all the research. It was mm -hmm. really fun, but really difficult. 
we publish it in English, in Spanish, and in Portuguese. Wow. And then the second book, Gold in the Vineyards, Oro en los Viñedos, which you can probably find it, you know, online in Spanish as well. They would have to ship it from Spain or from Argentina. But this one is a book of the 12 most famous vineyards in the world, and it's an illustrated book. And what I want to show is that the really famous vineyards in the world are everywhere. That, you know, they're not just in Napa, Bordeaux, mm -hmm. and Burgundy. That there's some really important wine regions in Italy, in Spain, in Australia, in Argentina. And so I wanted a book to tell these stories and I love illustrations. So I hired this illustrator to illustrate uh, some really like there's murder scenes. It's kind of <laughs> They're a very book. creative. I was looking yeah. at the Malbec Mon Amour yeah. book and I was like, these yeah. are oh, great pictures. <laughs> yeah, the Malbec Mon Amour is our winemaker and I, we are really good friends and we see wine in drawings and music. And so we wanted to do a book that was instructive, like that you would learn a lot about wine, but that was also fun to read. It and, was fun. Uh, I was having, it was like oh, Lady good. Laura. <laughs> yeah, it was fun. Actually, what we do in the book is we go back in time, 2000 years to the beginnings of Mabek and we write to each other as if we're living in that time. Mm -hmm. So, you know, I pretend that I'm living in the court of Eleanor of Aquitaine, and he pretends that he's, you know, an explorer in the 16th century. So it, it was actually really fun. We felt like we were children writing a book. I love that, though. It's so creative. And I think things like that are very digestible for people, right? Because if you were to just throw data and numbers, not everybody yeah. can receive that information yeah. just in a very yeah. dry format, um, yeah. as important as the information might be. But you've created this very unique approach. And I think it's, it's why you've been as successful as you've been to be able to put Argentina on the map, to be able to showcase exactly what Malbec varietals are and continue to be a, a voice and a pionera in, in that space and in that field. So I, I'm excited. I, I got your book from Lorena, so I can't wait to continue reading through the whole Great. thing. I'll learn something myself. We are students of life. And so, um, you know, I'll, I'll make sure that I'm enjoying a nice, beautiful bottle of Malbec while I'm at it of course, as of course. Well. That's the idea that you, you, you can have a glass of wine while you read the book. Exactly, exactly. I can't imagine, you know, throughout uh, from when you first started helping your father to, you know, what you've been able to create during your entire time in the wine industry, the changes that you've seen, um, especially also for women winemakers, right? Because I know that there's a very a, a small group of them. They're an anomaly in this industry. It is a heavily male dominated industry. Can you speak to what kind of changes you've seen over the years of your career in terms of more equity for women specifically and, and the opportunity? Opportunities that are being created for them and maybe how you integrate that into the work and effort that you do through Catena Zapata Wines as well as I, I know you also own and have your own business as well. Yeah, so I, I also have a wine called Luca and La Costa. You know, the interesting thing is that women have always played an important uh, role in wine and business and farming. And when I wrote my book, uh, Oro en los Viñedos, Gold in the Vineyards, and I started researching these really famous wineries like Chateau Lafitte in, in, in France or Harlan in, in California or Henschke in Australia, I found that there were actually really important women that had mm -hmm. been part of creating these wineries. And there wasn't as much said about them. Oftentimes the man would be the boss, but mm -hmm. women were always participating. And also because wine is often a family business, you know, you can't choose if you have sons or daughters. And mm -hmm. for example, one of the most famous wine families is the Antirori family. And after 22 generations of a man being the boss, the current owner has three daughters. So it's the three <laughs> daughters running the business because yeah. he's got three daughters, you know? And so I think that part of the work I've done is just 
make sure that people realize that there actually have been some great women in mm -hmm. the past. But for sure, when I got started, there were way more men than women. And the, the thing that I've tried to change is people in high positions. So you would go to wineries where, yeah, there'd be a lot of women, but all the women were maybe in hospitality or working uh, at the cashier, which, hey, that's a really important job working at the cashier. But you want to know that, okay, I'm working at the cashier when I get started, but I want to be able to move up and 100%. get like a higher paying job or a job where I am the boss of other people as my career moves. And I think that there were not often as good opportunities for women to go up high in a winery. And Absolutely. In our winery in Argentina, you know, for example, in winemaking, we have uh, several women at the highest level. Yes, uh, and, love that. And, and, and I think that the only thing that a woman needs to see is a few women that have gotten the top job. And then they say, okay, I want to work for this company mm -hmm. because if that woman made it to that job, then there's I a can chance do it. for me. 100%. And I think that, that to me, that's that's the biggest change. As you start seeing more women in high positions, younger women are inspired. And I mean, the, the happiest people about working with women are men. Uh, <laughs> men love to work with women. And I have very mixed teams of men and women. They work great together. And I think the the world will be great once we become fully integrated. And, and 100%. Of, Who of run the, the world? Yeah. We do. <laughs> yeah. And, and more of the younger women of today are in leadership positions. And, and I think that there's there's no way you can generalize about men or women. There's all sorts of men and all sorts of women. And that's what you want. That's how you make your best work is when you have diverse people. And that's something I really thousand percent is it's not, you know, diversity is not just about man, woman, kind of person, where you grew up, some foreign people, some people who grew up in the U.S., different states, uh, different, you socioeconomic know, statuses. Think, socioeconomic yep. status, like how did you grow up? And and I think that that diversity is what creates the best ideas. But mm -hmm. you need to learn how to how to work in a diverse world because you have to be a good listener. You don't have to be judgy. Mm -hmm. That's the hardest thing. And a lot of that I learned as a doctor. You know, I practiced medicine for 25 years. I know we I haven't just, even touched the elephant in yeah. the room. Like, aside no, from no, no. all of this, you were actually first started off as a no, doctor. I, I had no intention of ever working in the family winery because I wanted to save the world. And today I actually feel that I can help more people running a responsible business, selling wine that makes people happy in moderation. That's really important. Wine in mm -hmm. moderation. Don't drink every day. Uh, a couple of days a week is fine, but not every day. Skip a day or two or more. Uh, you know, moderation is important. But I went into medicine because I wanted to help people. Mm -hmm. And then I realized that I could help people by elevating Argentine wine, not just help people in Argentina, but, you know, contribute to the happiness of the world. Yeah. And what I learned in medicine, though, was to really get to know people of all kinds, of all walks of life. And everybody, you know, has an equal right to be on this planet. Amen. Know? We all have an equal right and you need to get to know people that are different from you mm -hmm. and you need to be able to listen to people who completely disagree with you. And, you know, as a doctor, you get to meet all kinds of people <laughs> and you need to help all of them. You know, yeah. you, you know, sometimes you get a little people with attitude that happens all the time in hospitals and you need to help them. You need to figure out the, their health the problem care. Mm -hmm. uh, and you need to care for them. And, you know, when people ask me often, you know, what what's in common i mean first of all any job has so many things in common you need to learn how to look into detail you know uh, be organized work in a team and the skill set is the same working in any job there's the same skills uh, and that 
you can take to another job. There's also a science part in, in winemaking. Mm-hmm. And there's also a, an art instinct in medicine too. The mm-hmm. best doctors figure out what to do because they recognize patterns. They talk to the patient, they do the physical exam, and they put it all together. It's not that different from tasting some wine and then figuring out how to make the blend. It's, it's the similar sort of skill. It's how to put things together that you've learned mm-hmm. in your brain and then make a decision. Hmm. I've never thought about it that way, but you're right because it is, it is based off of like foundational roots that can essentially be transferred to, to another industry. And I'm sure when you were first starting off a, as a doctor in medicine and you mentioned, you're like, never had any intention to go into my family business. You were probably, you were, you were, I don't, first of all, I want to understand like at what point did, did that change happen for you? Um, but then you probably were also thinking to yourself, like, how do you also take that transition being a doctor and implement that in wine? But Well, honestly, the, the, the way it all started was that first my father used to take me to France as his translator because I studied French because I already spoke Spanish so uh, and I spoke English because my father studied at Colombia, so I had learned English as a young kid. So when I was in Argentina growing up, I didn't want to um, go to English classes with people that didn't speak English because I already spoke English. So I studied English on my own. So I studied French because it was the other language that they offered. You know, they so had Spanish was the main language and then English was the second language and you could choose French. So I chose French. So I actually spoke French pretty well because, you know, it's a little easier also with the Spanish. So my Very father, um, when I was in, in medical school, uh, he would say, Laurita, will you come to uh, France? I need to check out these French wines and I don't speak French. And honestly, all the French people spoke English. So he was just trying to get me interested. <laughs> so I was like 18 years old, drinking the best French wines as my father's translator. And that was really fun. I loved the wine. So I, I started getting interested in wine more as a hobby. Mm. And then what happened is my we got this great award that we were invited to this thing called the New York Wine Experience. It's a wine spectator event mm-hmm. in, in New York. Mm-hmm. My dad called me and said, Laurita, nobody here speaks English well. You have to go represent us because otherwise we're going to be a bunch of fools with accents, which honestly, I think that people with accents sell more wine than people without accents. <laughs> if you, Spanish accent, French accent, Italian accent, Russian accent, doesn't matter. Accents sell more wine because it's more, it's more authentic. So, um, so, so, but my father convinced me. So I went and I did this event and it was in the mid-90s and people would walk in front of my little booth and not even taste my wine because we were the only winery from Argentina and they didn't know Argentine wine and there were these long lines with the California wines, the Italian wines, the French wines and I thought, oh my God, my poor dad, he's trying to change the history of Argentine wine, make these great Argentine wines and nobody cares. And so I called him the next day. I said, okay, dad, I have this doctor job that I'm really happy about, but I'm going to start helping you. And my dad wanted to put me in charge of the whole winery. I said, no, no, I still am doing my doctor job. <laughs> You're like, I said help, and not, not yeah, take over. I, I, exactly. I said, <laughs> I said, but, uh, so, so, I, so then for the last, you know, whatever, 20, 30 years, I've been doing both. And then um, in You still practice uh, medicine? No, so in 2019, my dad turned 80. And I said, okay, dad, your, your birthday gift is that I'm going to do a volunteer doctor. I'm not going to be like running the emergency department part-time like I've done for the last 25 years. Oh my gosh. And, then, and literally it was, it was, it was in uh, November. So it was right before COVID. Right and before then with COVID. COVID, I asked the hospital if they wanted me to come back because I thought, God, I can't leave 
with COVID. And mm -hmm. I was doing pediatrics the last um, 12 years and the pediatric emergency departments were empty because remember with COVID, since everybody was locked down, the kids weren't getting their colds. That's why now everybody's getting RSV and mm -hmm. flu and all these mm -hmm. things. And they weren't playing in the playgrounds. So they weren't breaking bones. And so they didn't need me because I had been doing mostly pediatrics, which was very not busy. And so, um, so basically then I, I, the clinic, I was going to work closed. I did some vaccinating for, uh, the, the, once the vaccines were available, I, I vaccinated homeless people in San Francisco for a while. And now Fantastic. I'm basically doctor to my friends. And it's, it's a the best job. friend ever, if you ask me, <laughs> <laughs> she'll give you wine and she'll make sure you're healthy yeah. on top of that. Yeah, yeah, no. So I, I'm, I'm, I'm currently really doing wine and and yeah, giving free medical advice to all my staff and my friends. And and I'm so busy with the wine that, you know, I I I honestly don't have time. But I, I did medicine for um, almost thirty years. That's yeah. amazing. And, and not only medicine, you double timed. You were doing both, yeah. which is the mind. <laughs> that's so mind blowing to me. Uh, you know, because at the beginning, empezamos with, I wanted to make a difference in the world. I wanted to change something. I wanted to be of contribution, of help. And I just think that you've done that in so many ways when it comes to educating people on other great varietals and expanding their minds, their concepts of what really great wine can be, of putting not only your country, but a great varietal on the map, of being that face for mujeres to be able to feel inspired and be seen and know that you are the trailblazer leading that path and also helping out from a health perspective with making sure that people are getting their care, their quality, um, running, you know, not only your your father's winery, having your own Luca. And, and I'm just thinking to myself and then living in two different places at the same time. I'm like, man, she does not stop. Like this is a powerhouse mujer. It's so great. Um, but I can only imagine just because I know when I think about myself, I have like three different jobs. I'm involved anywhere that my hand can dip into because I, I, I just at the end of the day, I want to be able to know like that I can make an impact in even the smallest mm -hmm. of spaces. If you have something to contribute, lend your support, knowledge, well, whatever that looks a like. Big impact, Gabrielle. That conference you just ran was huge success. I've read Thank so you. much about it. It's amazing. Thank you. Did not yeah. do that alone. I, I feel very fortunate. Yeah. My my co-organizers, Hispanics and Wine and Uncorked and Cultured, yeah. um, big yeah. labor of love. But but exactly yeah. as you noted, you know, it, it takes a lot of energy and effort. Yeah. And I can only imagine the energy and effort you've put in for yeah. the last 25, 30 years doing both of these industries. What does rest look like and what does <laughs> care look like? Or well, somebody's first doing I want so to say much. one thing that that you know, I'm really grateful to my father that he honored my desire to continue being a doctor for a while. Yeah. And I would sometimes ask my dad, you know, Papa, do you think that I should quit medicine? And he said, that's not a decision for me to make. You mm -hmm. have to decide whatever, you, you know, the time has come. And, you know, I wouldn't hire me. I mean, maybe I would, but <laughs> I don't want people who are doing another job. I need full-time people, you know. So I have to say that, a lot of this, my career has to do with my father really loving me and, mm. and understanding how much I love being a doctor and mm. that I wanted to do it for a long time. And so, and, and honoring the time I needed to be doctoring, mm. which was, mm. you know, six to eight days a month, which is a lot when you're running a business. My team knew they couldn't contact me at all, obviously, when I'm working in the hospital. And so I'm, I'm really grateful for that. And I think any normal job would have not taken me. So, <laughs> so anyhow, I, I just want to give a, a, a more thorough explanation. 
Shout out to Pops for the supportive uh, for the supportive no, and, role. And, you know, and, I, and I have a lot of friends who work in family businesses where you know their family are not very understanding. And very honestly, who I am today is the person that was able to do both those things, and that was important to me. And mm -hmm. so I'm very grateful for that. Uh, I want to tell you that my husband complains a lot. <laughs> thinks I am the worst wife on earth. It's rather a miracle that um, that I'm still married. Uh, I have three <laughs> children. My children love me because I because you're a badass. Children. I'm a great mom, but I'm I am. My husband's right. Like I always forget his like our anniversary. I, I'm horrible, Gabrielle. <laughs> like my husband is very. It's a very nice person. He's American. Uh, he speaks Spanish really well. Love that. And he's he's a good partner. And now that my kids are all going to college because I have the last one going, I'm hoping that I can you know, maybe have uh, that time back, have, have a little Build. more time with him mm -hmm. because it is important. You know, in the end, you know, people like you and me that we'd like to go, go, go. Like you said, it's important to sometimes, you know, have time to uh, smell the roses. Right. Uh, and, and, and to answer your question about what do I do in my downtime? So I have this dog called Nala, mm -hmm. my daughter. It, it's the classic, you know, your kid begs you for a dog and then you, you end, end up taking care of it. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> it happened to me. But I, I, I love that it happened to me. So Nala and I go for walks and I did start doing yoga for five minutes. So I have all these friends that do one hour yoga classes. I cannot do a one hour yoga class. That is so long. So I do these, this little app that I do five minutes every morning. I can't meditate because I don't like to sit. So I kind of meditate while I'm doing the yoga. And I have to say that if I don't do it, I really feel it. And so I, I actually tell all my friends, you know, Spend five minutes a day in the morning doing something that's contemplative, uh, yoga, walking, whatever. I, I think those five minutes can make a huge difference. And Definitely. so that, that's kind of what I do to center myself. Yeah. yeah, and I think it's so important because in a world um, or with a character of always go, go, go and being so driven and hungry, which are great qualities. Nobody should ever say, you yes. know, that somebody who's that driven, like that's a there's a downfall to that. There also needs to be an important role in, in being centered, being present, being able to just actually make space for that rest. So you can, you know, take a look around and be like, wow, like look at everything that I've created today. What are my intentions for today? Today? What do I hope to achieve today? Um, and giving yourself that time when, at least when I think about myself, my mind is like a thousand miles an hour thinking about the next thing. And yeah, so if I can yeah. give myself a little bit of time back to where I can be like, okay, donde estamos right now? Um, yeah. Then I feel just like I'm so not true. as overwhelmed going into everything that needs to be accomplished. So true, so true. And hey, I, I do want to say uh, before we finish, um, a pitch for UC Davis, the winemaking program. They were trying really hard to recruit Latinos because, you know, so many Latinos work in, in wine and viticulture mm -hmm. in California. And they actually now, like about 25% of the students in the undergraduate and the graduate program are Latinos or uh, Hispanic people of Hispanic origin. That's fantastic. Uh, but they, they want to like get even more diversity. They actually have a lot of women. It used to be more men. And I think now they have slightly more women, which is exciting. Yes. But I think often people don't know what is a wine job and you know kids let's admit it they're probably not drinking wine they're drinking um you know white claw uh, <laughs> <laughs> or one of those things so i think it's hard for a kid that's you know 17 applying to college to think oh god do i want to study winemaking but winemaking is it's like perfumery you know it's it's about flavor and smell and making blends it's like this incredible mm. mix of art and science mm -hmm. and there is some science 
uh, but there's also a lot of art. And then there's the whole part of farming that if you care about the environment, you know, vines are incredible uh, carbon sequesters. So a vineyard is a very important thing for our ecosystem and it, and it hosts all kinds of animals and, you know, insects and, and plants and, and shrubs and, and things that grow around a vineyard. And, uh, and the way, you know, viticulture is being practiced now is with a very conscious thinking. And I think the wine community is very committed to diversity and to making sure that all the employees of a winery are having a good time and enjoying their work and being well paid. I, I think it's, it's a, it's a, it's a community that really cares about everybody that works in the winery. Mm -hmm. uh, and, and I think there's a lot of jobs in wine. So I want to put a, a real pitch to the parents, the kids, you know, and, and it's also a career that you can start afterwards. Like, let's say you studied something else, you want to switch to wine, you can still go to UC Davis to get a master's, you can do an undergrad, you can go from community college, from a state school, transfer into a UC, you know, UC Davis, um, they are looking for students. It's a great program, great professors. So I hope that if anybody's listening to this, you look UC it up Davis and, is a school. apply. Yeah, and it's it's the top school in the world for wine. It is. It's they publish more than any other school in the world. Mm -hmm. They they publish more than schools in France, mm -hmm. in Italy, in mm -hmm. Europe. So it's you know it's a, and it's a it's a UC. It's 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 a California um, you know government school, uh, which you know that means that you pay less. So <laughs> the greatest part about that, and as you and I were talking before we even started the uh, the interview, was they are very committed to making sure that people are receiving the resources they need. Diverse yes. people of color are receiving yes. the resources they, they need yes. to thrive and succeed. Because years past, like ten years ago, that population of you know yeah. people of color in the program was yeah. maybe two percent, five percent, or below, yeah. and now yeah. it's like yeah. reaching yeah. its twenty percentile. Yeah. Um, and yeah. that's because they've been very intentional about going yeah. in to the communities to educate people and know, hey, this is an option for you. As opposed yeah. to, I think sometimes people are like, well, you know, nobody applied because they're waiting for people to come to you, but it's like, yeah. you have to yeah. go to them. And UC yeah. Davis has been very intentional about that. Um, so if anybody is a student, a parent, whoever they might be, great programs, definitely a wine school to check out um, in all aspects of wine. Cause it doesn't just have to be yeah. farming. It doesn't just have to be yeah. a winemaker. The ecosystem of the wine industry yeah. has many, many arms and, and yeah. somebody can definitely find something in there that works for them. Oh, and, and they're working on a wine business program that would be a potential minor, I'm not sure, maybe major also, but for people who are interested in combining the winemaking with the business side. That's amazing. Yeah. Opportunities is what I see. <laughs> yeah. Bueno, Laura, before we head on out of here, I, I guess my last question for you is, well, kind of twofold. What are you most proud of then and in, in everything throughout all of these years? And what advice would you give to either your younger self or to somebody, you know, who is um, looking to just find their way in, in this life? I think the thing I'm most proud of is the fact that I've been able to follow this vision of my father's to make Argentine wine that stand with the best of the world. And that today Argentina is considered one of the great winemaking regions of the world. And that basically happened in the last 20 years. Before mm -hmm. that, Argentina was virtually unknown. And, and being part of this movement, ele elevating 
my whole region. And with that, the lives of so many people, that, that's what I'm so proud of, but that hasn't ended. As I've told my husband and my children, I'm going to die either on a plane, traveling to do a wine tasting <laughs> on a vineyard. Like, I am not planning to retire. That's, we don't retire in my family, or unless they fire me because I can't, I'm not, like I'm saying too many crazy things or something. Uh, but, you know, I'm really proud of the work we've done uh, for Argentina. And, you know, the advice I'd give to my previous self has more to, I think in work, I'm, I'm very happy that I had these two jobs. I have no regrets professionally. Uh, you know, obviously I've made a million mistakes, but I think that going back to the husband thing, I feel like I've been always so go, go, go and so dedicated to my children that you know, so, sometimes, and, and this is what all the therapists tell you, like, you know, if you want your children to be happy, take care of your couple. Uh, but I think that, you know, when my kids were little, I was always like trying to tell my husband what to do and stuff like that. And I kind of forced them to take time off, be with the kids. Like, I wish I'd worked on that more. Mm. And, but I also don't have a lot of regrets because I still have a long ways to make up for being a, a bit of a bad wife. Uh, I don't think so you're a bad I'm wife. <laughs> <laughs> I think it's great that you have a partner who's so supportive of the incredible yeah. trailblazer that you've been, you know, you were also named in Latino Leaders 100 Most Inspiring Latinas uh, alongside some other phenomenal Latinas. So to have a partner that supports you and allows you to be you. <laughs> okay. Okay. Thank you, Gabby. I'll tell my husband that. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Tell him you can have come have a conversation with me if he thinks otherwise. <laughs> I will. I will. Bueno, pues, Laura, I wish you the okay. best of luck and everyone here. There are many, many books that you can engage with and learn more about Laura, learn more about Argentina. Please be on the lookout for those on Amazon. Um, her most recent one, Malbec Mon Amor, is also available that you can look out for. And we hope that more than anything, you grab a nice, delicious bottle of Malbec wine and remember exactly what, what Laura's efforts are here throughout her entire time as she's been being this navigator of, of two different worlds and kicking ass in both of them. <laughs> so, Gabriela, so my Instagram is at Laura Catena MD. And what is yours? Because I want to make a little post. Yes, mine is underscore underscore Latina G. That's an easy one. It looks like Latin like ag. And I didn't know that that's what people thought for the longest time. And I'm like, oh, well, I do work in wine. So I can see why you thought about that. But no, it's Latina <laughs> G for Gabriela. <laughs> but I guess it great. works both ways. <laughs> I think it's perfect. Well, you know what? The funny thing with mine, Laura Catina MD, I did it medical doctor because somebody already had my name. But my husband's last name is McDermott. Oh, so that is so funny. That <laughs> I didn't realize it for several years. It's meant to be. And then um, the Big Sip podcast Instagram name is at the Big Sip series. Make yeah. sure you're following Laura at Laura Catena MD, her journey. Keep tuning in. And I hope, Laura, that this is not the last time that we get to meet. And um, yeah. hopefully there's a, a future collaboration in there for us with the Latinx Wine Summit in 2023. Absolutely. I hope so. Okay. <laughs> bueno, que tengas Besos. buen día. Adios. Besos y abrazos. Big sip.